To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Dylan Ness. Um, so I, I really like Dylan. Um, I met him a handful of years ago, and we've been hunting and fishing together ever since. Uh, the guy's an animal with a bow in his hands. Uh, we talk about it on the podcast, hunting different species in different habitats, um, just developing our bow hunting skill set. And Dylan has definitely done that, and um, uh, he knows how to be consistently successful with his bow in his hands. Uh, he's a great shot, great hunter, and so uh, that's a lot about a lot of what we talk about in the podcast. Uh, he had just harvested a, a spring bear with his bow, uh, which I was really impressed by in this new mountain range. So we talk about that. We also get into elk hunting, hunting spot and stock. And kind of adapting to the conditions we're given. Uh, he's killed some some great bulls. He's killed some great antelopes, some great bucks. Just a great all-around bow hunter and uh, an awesome conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Matthews Bows. Uh, Dylan is also shooting the new V3X. Uh, this thing is shooting, guys. Uh, uh, one of the... The best bow I have ever owned. I am really getting along with this thing good. It shot great for me in Hawaii. Reminds me I need to get on and record a solo about that Hawaii trip as it was an amazing adventure. Uh, but shot great for me in Hawaii. Shooting great for me on 3Ds and on targets. This is a deadly bow, you guys. Uh, really holds its tune well. Um, it it um, is super forgiving, and it's built tough for the backcountry. I uh, couldn't be more impressed by the bows that they're producing, especially like the last five years have been amazing, and every year they seem to outdo themselves, and they have done that with that V3X. So if you're in the market for a new bow, go shoot one of these things. They're so quiet, so forgiving, so accurate, uh, easy to tune, just amazing bows. So thanks to Matthews for... Um, partnering with the podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Sig Sauer Optics um, are building just amazing optics at a great price point. I love their binos, their spotting scope. Uh, I love um, their rangefinders. I believe their rangefinders are the best in the market. They shoot the same on light and dark targets. Uh, they have a powerful laser that will shoot through grass, uh, real accurate readings. Um, I, I, I believe that, that range finding is a skill, and it's, it's a skill that not a lot of us work on, and it, it's so crucial and critical to making a good shot is having a good range and having a good range finder that will do, uh, do angles, give you accurate readouts, uh, just amazing rangefinders. So if you're in the market, make sure to check out Sig Sauer. I'm also so impressed by their image stabilizing binoculars. I think this is the the greatest innovation to hit the hunting world in the last 10 years. To flip a switch and have these things totally steady, I just spot more game with them. And I have my buddies switched over. In fact, uh, Dylan has used a pair of mine. He'll have them this year. Uh, I got my buddy Dan hooked on them. 
um, they're just amazing. They um, you, you flip that switch, everything gets still, and you can just see more detail up close and far. So uh, these things are really spotting a lot more game for me. They have two different pairs, the 10 by 32s, which are perfect around the neck and in close and in stocking. They also have a pair of 16 by 45s, I believe. And that 16 is great everywhere I sit down and super lightweight. And in a lot of times in my hunting, it's taking the place of a scope. I can see everything I need with them, but all amazing optics. I also have a rifle scope that I, I put on my new Savage uh, 6.5 Creedmoor that's shooting real good for me. So anything optics, make sure to go check out Sig Sauer. Uh, they're doing an amazing job with them. Over at Eastman's, um, we're keeping busy. We just released the latest high country film. Uh, it was a Nevada hunt I did last year. Uh, it turned out really well. I'm really proud of it and uh, got a bunch of compliments on it. So make sure to check that out uh, on Beyond the Grid. And um, yeah, we have some uh, new episodes that are hitting. I know I have some other Mule Deer episodes. Uh, Dan's got an elk episode that's coming out and uh, some other great ones. He killed a great bull in Wyoming this year. So be on the lookout for the Beyond the Grid. Uh, you can search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube and you can find us there. We will be speaking live coming up in July. So we're going to be, uh, I keep saying Herber City. I think it's Heber City, uh, Utah. So uh, just south of Salt Lake there. We're going to be at the Fieldcraft Survival Headquarters. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, elk and mule deer. I have an hour talk planned, and then we're going to have a dinner. We'll do question and answers, uh, so we'll be able to hang out and chat. So if you're in the uh, the neighborhood, that's going to be the same weekend as they do TAC in um, Salt Lake City in Utah. Make sure to come check us out. You can get your tickets at Fieldcraft Survival uh, on their website. And um, come out and listen to us speak live. I'm super excited for it. So we're going to be speaking there. And um, it's going to be busy. Like after the 4th, the summer flies by, you know. So uh, we're, we're, summer's going to go quick and fall's going to be here before we know it. And um, found out that I've got an early bow hunt coming up here. So um, super pumped about that. Uh, it's going to be a great season. So getting in my runs, I got about four or five weeks left to get the roof on my house. Uh, so things are going good here and um, really nice to have a couple days off over the 4th and spend it with family. And I did get out with Dylan, do a little fly fishing as well. So um, it's just a great reset for the rest of the summer here. But uh, anyways, go check us out. Uh, Heber City, uh, we're going to be speaking. It's going to be July 20th and you can get your tickets, Fieldcraft Survival. All right, guys. Let's get into this podcast. It's a great one. My buddy Dylan Ness. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Morning. Yo, what do you know? Oh, handling the kid. <laughs> yeah, um, good. Helping out the wife. How's the kid doing? Be good he's doing good just no no night no morning no day is the same man it's like holy smoke some days are great other days it's like dude what do you want um a, a kid uh they're so difficult aren't they like everybody tells you about being a parent and being ready for it but it's just non-stop with them it's like when they're when they're a baby they need everything like they 
Um, you know, you just have to provide. It is pretty nonstop when they're awake, especially after they're a newborn. They're awake quite a bit, but um, man, it's a lot. Like um, even the good kids cry a lot, and it's like trying to <laughs> fix that or make that right is really tough. Those those women have such good patience, and it doesn't come naturally for us guys. I think we have to work at it. Uh, I definitely have to work at it because Jeannie is like all world mom and I'm like, he cries for five minutes and I'm like, babe, what is going on with this guy? She goes, try hanging out with him for 12 hours. I'm like, <laughs> oh, true. Okay. Well, I won't complain. So no, I'm pretty spoiled, dude. She, uh, Jeannie is so good. So it makes life easy on me, but still it's like, I try and lighten the load. It's like pouring rain today and stuff, so I ain't going to be working. And it's like try and help out, but it's like, oh, my gosh, I might have to make something up to go into town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I hear you. No, good on you. I know you're helping out all the time over there. But, yeah, those moms take so much of the brunt of it. And, you know, when they're feeding the kid and stuff, like when the kid wakes up crying, uh, you know, a, a lot of times it's, you know, because he wants to be fed or whatever, which is only mm -hmm. what mom can fix, you know, unless they, you know, whatever, you know, pumping or whatever, you know, producing <laughs> yeah. milk or like, like there's a bunch of different ways they can do it. But yeah, man, it's, um, it's tough. You just try to try to be uh, as good a father as you can and jump in and give them some relief, you know, like just a, yep. an hour or two of sanity is huge, you know? So yeah, you're doing the right thing. Oh yeah. 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 And it, I'm sure it'll, well, I say it'll get easier, but everybody says it won't. But as long as I still get to sneak out and go hunt and fish, I'm all right. I'll live. Yeah, dude. So. Oh, um, I miss the, these mornings. We used to do these uh, on the regular. Like uh, we were doing the Flycast together. Man, I really enjoy the end of doing that podcast. And we put everything on hold. It's, uh, you know, Eastman's invested a couple of years in it. And um, I just had a tough time monetizing it. But, man, the end of that podcast, doing it with you was so fun. Yeah, yeah. The the early mornings and, and evening and late evenings, they were – yeah, it was a riot. It's just fun talking all the time. Give us gives us an excuse to get on the phone and just chat for an hour, hour and a half for, yeah, every other week, every week. Yeah, that was enjoyable. So it's nice to be back chatting. I know we just talked the other day, but, gosh, I could talk hunting all day. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we'll um, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll pick up popularity. All the episodes are still out there, or um, I'll I'll have you signed up for something. You know, who knows? Maybe <laughs> we'll do like a regular hunting podcast every couple weeks or something. So we'll get something cool. in the works, man. Because um, yeah, I just love chatting with you, dude. I am so impressed at your bow hunting prowess. Like um. Uh, we met, we've been bow hunting together the last few years and, um, you know, I knew you had that, that it factor, but, um, to, to watch you, uh, develop and, you know, you shot a bunch of trophies before we started hunting together, but just to watch your skills develop, to be able to go to these different places, these, these different habitats, different species and, and watch you figure it out. And then also like, um. Just watch you work on all these skill sets from physical training to shooting your bow. You're an unreal shot with your bow. Um, man, it's just been super impressive, man. I'm, I'm uh, so impressed with what you've accomplished in like this latest feat of uh, taking a black bear spot and stock with your bow and arrow and, and all on your own, a mountain range that you found and put in your time and developed and then to go arrow a bear like that, uh, entry-level dangerous game, man. I'm so impressed. Yeah, no, thanks, man. It, uh, yeah, the last handful of years, ever since, 
well, ever since you and I really started, you know, hunting and fishing together and I switched over to just strictly hunting with the bow, um, gosh, it, it, it's crazy how fast, I mean, I always, I was always capable, you know, and I, I, like I said, like you said, I've, I've, I killed a handful of really good, you know, deer and elk with my bow, but once I switched over to bow only and just all year, that's all I did. Shoot my bow, work out. It's amazing how fast my skill sets that I had before even improved. And, you know, getting to hang around you and Dan, it's just the knowledge I got I got to soak up. I'm I'm spoiled in that regard, you know. It's like getting to learn learn pick up things from you and that's what's really helped me like say this bear season too it's like you know just always learning always listening and it's just uh it's totally come starting to come full circle for me and it's like i was just thinking about this last night it's like i'm really just getting into where i'm really feeling dangerous like go out there and it's not just packing my bow around you know it's like okay if i find a good one i just just need to find them in a good spot and the things in trouble and that bear you know that was that was high on my priority list this year was to to get a good bear arrowed and uh that spot it just it you know it turned into a really really good spot and it you know last year i got to go out a couple times but uh the quota ended up filling super fast and so i was just you know kind of hmm you know, I, I could, I went over, I think you and I went out a couple of times, but it snowed. Um, but yeah, this year just everything worked out. I spent a few days in there, uh, got a couple different stocks and, uh, yeah, when I saw that big red cinnamon bear, I just was like, oh my gosh, game on. He has a beautiful bear, man. Beautiful color phase, big head on him. Uh, uh, just a, a great one, great representation of the species. And, and yeah, like, um, uh, your commitment to the bow. Isn't it amazing? Like, um, you know, there, there's so much, you know, and I don't, um, I don't fault anybody for taking advantage of all seasons. And I learned so much hunting through rifle seasons and I'm sure mm -hmm. you did too. You know, you oh, paid yeah. your dues and you hunted, uh, during the season, like it teaches you how to deal with high pressure. Uh, the animals, uh, uh, you know, they're really put away during those seasons. So I learned a lot, but it's amazing once you fully commit to that bow hunting and the, the bow hunting mindset, and then you go as hard or harder than you ever went, you know, during rifle season, you just have this calling to be out with your bow and arrow. And that's like, you know, your bear was shot during a general rifle season and you've never killed a bear. Like you just yep. are committed to a bow and arrow, but it's wild when you commit to that, you spend all your time doing that and preparing for those moments and, and keeping in a bow hunter mindset. Like you said that the other day, you're always thinking mm -hmm. of the stock and the wind. And so, uh, you know, and you're able to keep calm, it gets to, to feeling normal. Like what, what's some of the, the, the biggest changes that you saw in your hunting career once you committed to the bow? Why do you think you're seeing so much success now? Well, you know, I think, I think like say, say spring bears, say like the, this, these bear hunts, um, this spring, um, you know, I've been hunting with our, gosh, we hunted all the way basically till January, you know, last year. And so, Every year, it always used to feel like, say, like that first few antelope stocks or those first few elk stocks. It felt like I was, you know, had to get my feet wet and get back into it. And I wasn't 100% sure of my moves, you know, and, and making the play. And it's like now I didn't skip a beat, you know. It uh, 
the it just feels ingrained now you know it's like getting in the bow range just feels ingrained in me now and it's like i don't have to question my moves it's like now it's just second starting to become second nature uh like say like the first bear stock the first stock i had on a really big jet black it was like man i was just straight zen mode like i got into well i got into i got to 70 and i knew that um, I didn't want to take a longer shot on one of these bears. I just wanted to be really close. And, uh, it was, uh, I had, would have been able to shoot over these tall aspens. I was kind of elevated, but then I would just slipped off my shoes, got in my socks and got down into 46, you know, 44, the wind ended up swirling on me on that bear. Um, and looking back, you know, if I could have found a window through the aspens, I would have been fine, but I also should have just. I played it perfect. There was a directional right to left, but that was blowing up Canyon and it was getting late. Right. And I knew in the back of my mind that, Hey, there's some clouds and some storms rolling in and the thermals are going to switch. And so I kind of positioned myself kind of not upwind of the bear, but kind of right at him. So if the thermals did switch now, granted he blew out, but then, you know, a few days later I went in after the cinnamon bear and it was early and it didn't even I didn't even have to question what the wind was doing down there or anything. Just always being in a bow hunter's mindset, you know, he was kind of up into a shoot on this kind of this pocket park and I knew the thermals were gonna be coming down. Like it was just one of those deals that's like now spending enough time in the mountains with my bow in my hands, it's like it was super early in the morning. And yeah, I just think I just think carrying around my bow, getting into bow bow range all year i mean from start to finish granted this is my first bear and my first spring really out in the mountains but spending all fall with my bow it's like i don't question my moves anymore it's like i know when it's time to go all in i know when things aren't maybe quite right um but yeah i would just say always being in a bow hunter's mindset always thinking about it that's really what's elevated my game and i don't have to question those moves like that anymore it's like I know when the right move is needed to be made and it's time to go all in. And I know when it's not. And, uh, the other thing, I mean, I spend so, I mean, I shoot, I have an, I have a problem when it comes to shooting my bow. I mean, I shoot thousands upon thousands, like probably everybody, but I mean, thousands of arrows a year. I mean, hundred, a hundred arrows a day is usually nothing for me after work, but I'm just so confident with when I bend them back, it's like, when I bend them back, it's like, uh, it, it's, yeah, I it's never a hundred percent, but I feel so confident. Like, yeah, it's, it's wild, but I'd say, I'd, so I'd say probably just, I don't question my moves during the stock and making those plays. And when it's time, when it's go time and it's time to bend them back, it's like, I feel so confident that, yeah, I feel like Superman with a bow. Man, um, it's just spot on, Dylan. Like, uh, it, it's everything in its entirety, right? It's your 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 preparation, mm -hmm. and and then it's you know I've always said like experience is the best teacher, and you know where you used to spend September bow hunting, maybe a touch in October, you know now mm -hmm. you're hunting muleys in November and uh, December, and you're you're hunting uh, early season high country stuff in August, uh, beginning of September before your elk season, so. 
like you're gaining so much more experience. So that makes sense. Like in the mountains, you've you've gained your confidence. You've you like mm-hmm. you, you, you've you you've put in your time, your hours, your your days. You you you've gained all this experience in this short amount of time. And in in that time. You know, even though you don't realize you're doing it, you're like honing your instincts, your skill set. And so I know what you're talking about. In the early days of bow hunting, it's like a gray area, whether you're going to go for an animal or whether you're going to stalk them. You don't know if it's wrong or right. You don't. You start on your stock and you start second guessing yourself. And, and after a while, you make enough of these plays, you fail enough, you learn like what you can get away with and what you can't, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And that has to do with the wind, with your approach, with the animal. Like you just get to develop this sixth sense of what these animals are going to do. You start to develop uh, this this sense of of what you, you can do and what you can't do in the mountains. And having that confidence or knowing that that is the key, and that's kind of what switches around. And and two, mm-hmm. you you prove to yourself that you can do it. You know, when you first start out with a bow, it seems like mission impossible to get close. But after you get it right a couple times, like uh, you start to believe in yourself and your abilities that you can arrow any animal out there. And so that makes total sense that that's turning the corner. And as far as your shooting, like you're you're just committed to living a bow hunting lifestyle. Like you're 365 shooting that bow, and I know. You know, it it shows itself, and and yeah, everybody shoots their bow, but I don't think everybody has the commitment that you do day in, day out to shoot those arrows, shoot those different ranges, really put in the practice, and it shows – like in the mountains with the animals that you're able to arrow, like your clutch with the bow in your hands. But it, you know, it also shows, you know, you started shooting indoor this year and you were telling mm-hmm. me some of your scores with the bow hunting rig, <laughs> which is just insane to be shooting, you know, 295 plus on a Vegas target with your bow. It's crazy good. And like uh, Dan, our our buddy that we hunt together with, Dan Hevern, who is a great bow hunter, great instincts, great shot. You know, like I, he has told me uh, a few times, and Dan doesn't say that about a lot of people. He's like, man, that that Dylan can shoot a bow. You know, he's so impressed by the <laughs> way you can shoot. You know, and that it, um, you know, having that skill set is a major advantage in the mountain. So putting in that work 365, and you've done exactly what I have done in my bow hunting life of shooting a bunch of arrows, trying to find the right way to execute deep down the rabbit hole of archery and bow setup and tuning. You've learned everything about a bow and arrow that you can learn, and you're continuing to learn and evolve and get better the same as I am, but you've just put in that work to be that good shot and have that uh, you know, that skill set when you go into the mountains, and that's deadly, man, to be able to make a shot. So I definitely think those two key components, and there's a bunch of other things that go along with that too, uh, like learning these new units and things. But, you know, I think it's also important to state, like I tell people all the time, I'm a really good bow hunter because I've failed more than the average guy. And I think as much success as you had, you have also tasted failure. Like, uh, you know, when you first started hunting high country mule deer, you know, you didn't fill out on your first hunt. Like you had to go back after it and uh, uh, regroup, recalibrate and go back after it the next year. Spring bear. 
uh, last year you went after it and did not kill a spring bear. And uh, I'm sure you went harder this year. You had a better game plan. You were able to recalibrate. Uh, you were able to take the knowledge you gained in the mountain range where you killed your bear and, and progress it further down the line, and you went harder. You recalibrated. So I think it's important to state, like, your your success hasn't come without failure either. Like, you have failed yep. during elk seasons and, and on big bulls, and, like, like uh, uh, as clutch as you are, like, uh, you're not immune to failure either. No, I couldn't agree more. It's like that first, and I know I've said this on the podcast a long time ago, but it's like that first high country hunt that I went into um, down in Nevada, uh, you know, and I was telling my parents this the other night, um, when they came out to look at my bear and, you know, I was telling them, it's like stepping into those mountains for the first time. And, and those mountains are big, but I mean, they're, they're not Colorado big. Um, but it was, it was a daunting task and I was kind of intimidated, but I went in there and feeling kind of like that, you know, cause I hadn't spent enough time in big mountains. And on that hunt, I got a great opportunity at a smasher buck and, you know, didn't it didn't work out and for that whole year i mean a whole year that is literally and that year i shot a three 360 inch bowl you know and it's but it's like the only thing i thought about that whole year was that nevada hunt that i didn't fill out on i just thought about the moves that i made what i could have done different you know and then fast forward to last year you know going into colorado it's like I knew some, I, I, I still didn't have a ton of experience, but the mountains didn't, didn't, uh, cast a shadow over me or, or didn't, uh, you know, make me feel the same way I felt in Nevada. I felt more comfortable and it was more like, it was more like my playground at that time. And those mountains are huge. Like, but I, I had the years experience, a uh, years prior's experience of failure, you know, and what I did wrong and what I did right. But, Say like in Colorado last year, I was on just a smoker buck and it didn't work out with that buck. And it was like day six or day seven. And instead of packing it up and heading off the mountain, you know, like when it didn't work in Nevada, when I got down, I, I rolled out, I rolled through a saddle and I was like, I'm going to go look in that, in that basin over there. So that the failure in Nevada led to the success in Colorado. And I ended up arrowing a good old goofy, big high country buck you know and it's like without that failure in nevada that success in colorado probably wouldn't have came because i probably would have walked my my sorry butt off the mountain all bummed out because you know a high 180 inch buck left the basin on me you know um same with the bear you know last year i i got my feet wet with it but like you said i had a better game plan going into this year because i got all i had all year to think about the things that went wrong and the things I could do better. And it's just without those failures, you wouldn't, I wouldn't appreciate the successes as much. I don't, well, I mean, I would, but I don't think success would come as often without failing a few times. You know, it's like our late season deer hunt uh, that you, Dan and I went on. It's like, I've thought about that one. Oh, oh every week. I think about that. <laughs> I cannot wait to get back to that place. You know, it was like, the coolest day ever when you pack that big old gnarly buck off the mountain and I was there waiting at the pickup and it's like, that's what I want now. It's like, you know, and I've, I had some chances, you know, it wasn't like I didn't have any chances, but it's like, I think about that hunt. And so that's the one that's, that's, I'm really, really looking forward to this year. Cause it's like, we've spent, I've spent one year in there and I know that's a hard place to hunt. 
but watching you pack that big buck off the mountain, it's like, okay, it can be done. It can be done. So yeah, no, the, the failures definitely lead to successes and it's just, it's just knowledge. You're just gaining that knowledge through throughout time. And it's like, I just, it's hard to roll out there year one, you know, day one and get it done all the time. But it's like, you've always got to be learning. And you, you are always learning. Yeah. It's amazing how those failures, they do drive us more than our successes. And so <laughs> you're right. Like a uh, failure is a prerequisite. Like you are going to fail because it's like a really tough challenge. And that, that doesn't mean you're going to fail on every hunt, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta get those failures in, in like, um, that, that persistence, that, that, uh, uh, that that always want more that drive like that's so important to be a successful bow hunter so you know like you take for instance like um this bear hunt like uh, uh you stalked a giant jet black and it went wrong and he winded you and when they wind you they usually know you're there and they're tough to catch up to again you usually never see those bears again and so um it would have been really easy um, you know, and I, I truly believe that's why I'm so impressed by that black bear, Dylan, because I think spot and stock black bears like here in Montana, I think they're one of the toughest animals to harvest with a bow. At least they have been for me. Like I have to grind through a season to make it happen. But what was so impressive is, is that jet black, it got screwed up. But that just uh, uh, made your fire burn hotter. Like, uh, you know, you like you didn't get that bear, and then you're right back out there on Tuesday or Monday or whatever day it yeah, was. That you, yeah, you were right back out there and trying to make it happen again, you know. And it would have been easy to call it quits after that jet black didn't come together. He winded me. That was my chance. Oh, poor me. Bear season's over. Or, you know, like you're talking about your high country mule deer. Exact same thing. You were chasing a monster up there in that basin. Had a hiker blow out what your, your <laughs> yeah. giant buck that you were after. And so you were left in the mountains. And also, that was a solo back packing bow hunt like the purest form of bow hunting in some of the biggest mountains in the lower 48 all these are new units to you because you are so young and haven't traveled across the country yet although you're you know you're gaining that experience going to different places in different habitats arizona nevada and colorado and all these places but still you'd never step foot in that unit you were able to turn up bucks chasing a giant in there and he got spooked out of the basin and so it would have been really easy for you to give in and say well that was my high country mule deer hunt. The buck I was after, the great big one, he got spooked. I uh, hunted for him for a bunch of days, but instead you like didn't give in to it. You like mm -hmm. you you went you you recalibrated while you're in the mountains and go, no, I'm gonna continue to go hard. There's other bucks around, and you ended up arrowing this great heavy buck, and then about killed yourself trying to get him out of the mountains by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did about kill myself trying to get out of the mountains. Yeah, that was a that was a rodeo, but it was totally worth it. Being and to be completely honest, you know, like that pack out taught me a lot too, because it's like capable of a lot more than even what I think I can do. Cause it was like, that was not ideal. Nothing about packing that deer out was ideal, but it just, you know, it goes back to, uh, like what has changed in my mindset, you know? And like that right there, I didn't think I was capable of that, you know, camp full deer. I don't even know how many miles, but the other thing is, it's like, there was that day, the day that you killed your deer, your late season deer, and you and I are sitting there at the at the pickup, and uh, we're looking at these big mountains, and you're like, well, if you want to go there, I can go there. You should hunt up over the top, and I'm looking at this mountain, like, and it's like, I'm looking at the watch, and it's like 2.30, I'm like, 
up over the top, you know, like, oh my God. And uh, sure enough, it's like back, back in the day, I would have looked at that range and I would have looked a lot lower, like, oh, I can only make it to here, you know? And it's like, but no, that day where you went, where I went, it's like the elevation and the distance from the pickup that we covered in that amount of time, it's like, and then we got a deer. You ended up killing a deer. I got into deer. But it's like also this bear season, I just know more of what I'm capable of. And it's like I didn't think anything of dropping seven, 800 feet down a mountain face to climb up again to go stalk a bear. And if it didn't work out, come back and come back, you know, come back up. You know, it's like I, I don't I don't see the mountains. That's what's changed a lot for me, too, is I don't see the mountains so much as just uh huge and you can't tackle it and it's like oh my gosh when you bow hunt you better be ready in those type of mountains to do stuff like that if you want to find success you know um that's the one thing i feel like that's been awesome over the past probably three four years is just realizing like oh no i can go there and i will go there because that's where they live Mm. it's um it's so uh it's such a big deal like uh uh so important Dylan it's like you're right you um you 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 push perception in your mind like uh all of a sudden like it seems like when you start bow hunting like you have these limitations of what you can do mm-hmm. and where you can go and how far you can walk but you you start to shatter that and you start to like break your governor to where you're willing to do whatever it takes to go kill a deer and elk and you have confidence in your body like you know that you you're in great shape you're an athlete and you know that I can do that I can do whatever you you look at the mountains differently it's it's not yep. so much of a challenge and you don't care if you have to come back in the middle of the night you don't have you don't care if you got to start early in the morning and you really you really push what you're capable of and and what you believe in yourself and what you can do and man that that late season hunt man what what an <laughs> awesome hunt what a grinder man i mean we we got our pickups way up to the top of the mountain and stuck and in the day i killed my buck there was actually guys glassing down below that didn't yes. have the gusto to go climb where we did like when we mm-hmm. pulled up we we actually had to switch areas so we were camped at the top of the mountain we chased a bunch of bucks up there uh, we yep. all had close calls uh, uh and then and then um you know it it just like like over time three of us hunting that spot eventually we hunted it out to where you know we we chased about every good buck in there and there just wasn't <laughs> much more opportunity so we had to chain up well I chained up my rig and then we had to do a convoy down out of the mountains in slick roads and like um you know you're you're really like I I almost slid my truck over off the edge into the timber like we had to dig on that thing for a couple hours but but my point is is like when when we switch mountain ranges and we went over there and I told you yeah I I've seen some bucks in this range and this is where I've seen them and these are a couple hunts that I know about like let's go in here we'll split up you're going to go left up this main ridge I've seen shooter buck here here and here and I'm going to go up this right ridge and look into this canyon that I really want to hunt I had a close call with a buck in there the year prior or a couple years prior or something like that 
And um, when we left, there was guys with spotting scopes down in the bottom and not, you know, it's good to glass and know where bucks are. And, and who knows what those guys' game plan was. But, you know, they're sitting at the bottom and glassing and me and you just get out of the truck and just start motoring up that mountain, you know. And it's just <laughs> like um, uh, we, we just don't have a quit in us and, and our perceptions of the mountains are different. We're able to cruise those mountains and – uh, man, I killed that great buck, and like I'll always remember that too. Packing them down in the dark, and we had been hunting deep snow, cold weather, rutting bucks, uh, and, and that buck was just amazing. Sure, he doesn't score uh, real heavy, but so uh, doesn't score real high, but really heavy, dark horned, extra, just a great buck. And then come down to meet you at the vehicle. I don't think I had sent you any messages or anything, so I just no. showed up with him. Um, you know, after seven days or eight days of hunting our hunting our asses off, you know, we, we were able to arrow that buck. But then you continued to hunt that mountain range and developed our knowledge even further in there. You went back and made another trip. You backpacked into the ridge up there. You chased a great wide buck, another uh another solid four point. Like um mm -hmm. uh you took my knowledge and what I'm willing to do in there and you pushed it to another level, taking your camp with you and being able to explore that mountain and so it's like always progressing right and, and yep. um i don't know where that that ends or what that uh end game is but the end game is is that there's no buck too far no buck that you know there's nothing that we're we're not willing to do to uh give ourselves the best chance of success and that's what you find that's like a lot of the reason why we find success yeah yeah totally yeah and it's just always like like when i went back in there it's like gosh, if I can get there in a day, you know, like when you and I went, if I can get there in a day, oh my gosh, I need to get back to here. Like nobody's going there, you know? And then some guy came in through private with an ATV and blew my deer out again, but it's like, oh my gosh. But it's like just finding uh, those spots and just keep going. And it is totally perspective because I mean, I don't want to keep bringing up the mountain, you know, the mountains like that, but like say Colorado, there's no mountains I've ever stepped in that are like that. So perspective wise, like when I came home last year after Colorado, I, I didn't have a special elk permit. So I'd hunt general. Right. And so I had to go into uh, a mountain range where I never had any success. And my goal was to kill a bull. And it's like, I used to think these mountains were so gnarly. Well, then you step foot in them and it's like, huh? I didn't know gnarly be before. It's like, these are, these are nothing now, you know, and it's like then there was no elk too far for me to go chase. I mean, I shot that bull way back there, probably further back than I should have, you know, had to shuttle him out over two days. But uh, it was like there was no bull that was too far for me to go after then, you know, and it's, it was all perspective. I mean, six years ago, seven years ago where I ended up killing that bull, I would have never even went there because it's like I would have just hunted the same old you know, haunts and the same drainages and, and just did my thing. But it's like, no, I just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. And, you know, when we go back to that, uh, uh, late season deer next year, you know, we're going to have to expand even more, you know, and it's just like taking the, the prior knowledge, the experience and, uh, a different perspective and just keep going for it. Just keep going for it. I mean, I don't know, like you said, I don't know where it ends, but it's probably on the pavement on the far other side on the other highway, you know, like, like pick me up over there, you know, I'm going to hunt it all the way through. So, 
that yeah that, no pretty wicked yeah that progression is so important uh i i think you're spot on dylan i think we're touching on something like uh, uh two bow hunters that absolutely love it like talking about what has made us successful and and you know there's so many uh different facets that that we can go down a, about what it is but a, a lot of it is in our own heads and the progression of things and a guy gets pretty dangerous once you get experience in a unit and it's not going back and hunting the exact same spots it, it is pushing that knowledge further and exploring that unit further and getting a better understanding of it but i think these these challenges that we're taking on i i don't think you have the growth if you get stuck in a rut and you hunt one mountain range or one drainage you find a good spot and you continue to go back to the honey hole eventually that honey hole dries up and then you're lost then you don't know where to go um but but when you build these these this progression and this skill set um, going to all these different places, like taking on these different challenges, I, I think it, it it really helps progress your skills as well. Like you you hunting these deer in the the early season in the high country and hunting you know multiple different states. Uh, you go to different mountain ranges and you find you know they're all mule deer bucks and they they act the same in a lot of ways, but they all. Uh, they they all coexist in that habitat differently. Like they use that habitat differently. And some mountain ranges I go in, I find them all on south faces. Other mountain ranges I go in, I find them all on north faces. Like uh, they they use that that landscape differently wherever they're living at. And so I think it's important to go to these different mountain ranges. And the biggest skill set or the thing that I'm most impressed like by you is to be able to go to these different places dial them in figure them out find animals and then harvest them just like your general elk last year a mountain range that you hadn't hunted much and that you scouted hard found good locations did your e-scouting got in there put boots to ground and then ended up arrowing a, a bull out of there you know like your bear spot like figuring it out going in there last year and getting a taste of it and seeing some bears but really dialing it in looking for the secluded basins looking for other areas taking what you learned last year and progressing it to the next level and then going in there and being successful in the same thing you know late deer hunts uh, uh hunting elk in different mountain ranges hunting mule deer uh early season late season mid season in different ranges and then being able to have all these skills at your disposal whether it's like you know being a great uh a truck hunter like you know a truck hunting gets a bad rap but a lot of these hunts the 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 units are so big you're trying to cover 300 square miles and there's a lot of square miles that don't hold deer populations like they're not spread out all out throughout the landscapes there's like little hot pockets of them where there's good game animals and so like trying to find that a lot of times we're using our vehicle we're camping, we're using a cooler in the truck, we're bringing gas cans, and we're living out of a vehicle so we can change locations and cover all this area to be able to find these animals. And so you build this skill set of like being able to truck camp, being able to move locations, and it's a fine balance between using your vehicle to change locations, but then also working hard to hike to these different points and vantage points and getting getting out of the vehicle and really going hard. You know, that's where you kill animals. It's everybody can stick 
you know, binos and a spotting scope out their window and look. And so those spots are pretty much hunted out, you know, at least in the the high pressure units where we're at. So you really got to get in there. So it's using your vehicle, but then it's also like building this backpack skill set where you can carry your camp on your back, everything you need, and you can do two, three days in an area. You can get back further and deeper in an area and live in there or like a, a week-long trip like what you did in Colorado, like packing everything you need for seven to ten days and going in there and living. And so there, there's just all these skill sets that go into being successful. It isn't just being able to stock and being able to shoot. It's also building your wood sense, being able to keep yourself safe during storms, being able to uh, navigate country. Like there's all this good that goes into it. But I will say that the the best teacher out there is just a – to, to have this this drive and this this vision and just to want adventure in your life and just to send it go for it like whatever it is like like pick up a tag like Arizona's over the counter down in the desert pick up a tag and go down there in some habitat you've never been and start trying to figure it out and and once you can figure out a few of these places it seems like that skill set is now interchangeable where you can go anywhere you can go to Alaska and go hunt caribou you can go to Hawaii and go hunt you know, axis deer, or you can go, you know, the coolest adventures out there are the ones for deer and elk and the lower 48 and antelope and bear and the, the stuff we get to hunt out west. But just taking these adventures and going for it, and you're going to have failure along the way, but it's learn from it, progress your hunting skill set, progress your knowledge, progress your confidence. And it's amazing what starts coming together once you start putting those skills together, once you start uh, uh, like once you build that base, you know, it, it uh, animals, do you just start notching more tags? Yep. A hundred percent. And it's like, you know, through all those adventures and, and, and going places and, and, and just transposing country. That's the one thing that I've gotten really good at. Well, I wouldn't say really good at, but a lot better at is it's like now I'm starting to gain more experience in, in different terrain in you know, out in the prairie, up in the mountains, you know, all over. And it's like, I just, you start to transpose the areas that, you know, animals like, you know, and I, it's like, say this bear spot, you know, it's like, I just basically, if I was a bear, you know, I was like, I was last year when I was looking at this, I was like, God, this would be it, you know? And I so or so I thought, you know, and just start transposing these places. And it's like, I went into a couple places last year where I didn't find one. And you and I have always talked about this. It's like big bucks, big bulls. It's like, I, I don't, I don't really believe they're ghosts. You know what I mean? Like everybody talks about like a goat, you know, one that just never is seen. It's like, yeah, there's probably some that are a little bit harder to glass, but it's like, if you're diligent on, on your glassing and moving your vantages, it's like, you're going to find something. But my point of this is, it's like when you don't, you know, like last year in this in a bear spot, when I didn't find it, it's like I just moved. Like I was, I picked up my camp, I picked up all my stuff, and it's like, okay, I don't think he's here. Like it looks great, and it's like, but I've glassed it morning and night, morning and night, and it's like nothing. So it's like I moved, and then boom, found bears. You know, uh, say the last year in Colorado, same thing. It's like I rolled into that range, and it's like, oh, this looks good, but you know, glassed it morning and night and didn't see anything. So it's like, I just kept rolling until I found them. And it's like going through all those different hunts, all those different adventures. It's like the one thing I've really started to pick up on is like transposing different country into what critters like. But also if I don't find them there being willing to pack up everything 
and go find a new spot within like say within that range or like you said get out go to the pickup drive around go to a new spot i I don't think a lot of guys um or gals whatever are just willing to pick everything up and go to the next spot like i just don't believe in ghosts you know it's like so if you don't find them i'm just so willing to pick everything up now and move whereas you know seven years ago five years ago i would just hang out and and just hope that oh i'm just missing him i'm just missing him it's like that's the one thing i think that's really led to my success it's like and i've learned it from you is just being so mobile and uh moving around until you find them because once you're in the party whether it be bucks bulls bears whatever it's like you know then you're in them now then it's time then it's go time and it's like but you've got to be full send from the get-go to just find them and be willing to to move country to get into different spots use the pickup like you're saying and then get out go check over a ridge or get way up into a basin or backpack it's just being willing to do the necessary things that aren't easy uh but but necessary yeah it's a so spot on that's like you're right uh being mobile uh continuing to move until you find the party or find the animals and believing that you're covering country the right way glassing the right places at the right times and if they're not there you continue to move so it it, it is um uh you know you have to be nomadic like it's uh, a yeah, like the, yeah. the day and age of sticking a, a wall tent in some place and hunting for 10 days you just don't keep into animals that way it's just like you have to uh you have to continue to move and 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 continue to cover country until you find where the bucks like and where the bulls like uh, I also like how you were inclusive there and said gals. I'm, I'm sure we do have three listeners that listen to the <laughs> podcast that are girls, so that was really nice yeah. of you as well. No, there's some <laughs> yeah. great bow hunting women out there that really go getters yeah. that get after it. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think the majority of my audience. I don't think there's uh, many women that follow the podcast, but there are some that fall in love with it like we do and go really hard. But I just thought that was funny being inclusive. <laughs> but I I gotta get into. Uh, spot and stock elk with you um like the time's just cruising by so quick because the conversation's so good but uh i'm really impressed like you've spent a lot of your time like a lot of your skill set was built on the foundation of elk hunting uh montana you fell in love with it at a young age and you've chased them with a bow for a long time but i think it's wild like we just have a different approach to elk than 90% of guys out there. So we don't bring any calls with us. We never make a peep, never make a sound. And I think it was developed out of hunting high pressure areas and trying to target those big herd bulls as we just learned really quick that, you know, they they don't come into calls that often. They will come into calls and do guys do kill big bulls with calls. But But I also find like, you know, a lot of the bulls that respond to calls are the satellite bulls that are hanging around, and those aren't the bulls that we're trying to target. And so we've developed this skill set of spot and stalking bulls. And as I talk to different guys and talk around the country, I find that 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 
are hunting these elk, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that do it the same way that we do, uh, but but I find that our methods of hunting these elk, keeping quiet, keeping the element of surprise, really developing our spot and stock skill set for these elk, uh, man, now we're just reaping the benefits of some of these giant herd bulls that we're able to kill through developing this skill set, but it isn't something you just decide on one stock or one play on an elk. Like for me and you, I believe it's been a progression of like the last, you know, 10, 15 years, however long, you know, I've been chasing mm -hmm. elk this way of really leaving my calls in the truck and, and really paying my dues spot and stock. And I have blown some giant bulls <laughs> and, and blown some scenarios and, and things that just makes my heart hurt. But through the, that, the, the, the trials and tribulations like you learn and you progress and you get to be really good at shadowing the herd and coyoting the herd and following them really good at, at trying to find your right moment to close in really good at reading winds learning elk behavior um you know all those things that go into being successful but i do think that our elk hunting methods are not the the common way to hunt them or is not what the majority of guys are doing uh i think it's such a great bag to have in uh such a great skill to have in the bag or such a a great tool to have in your toolbox even if you, you you use all different methods, even if you call and you'll cow call and you'll bugle, but then you'll also stalk when you get that chance or when you see that, that, that right scenario develop. But that spot and stalk for elk being quiet, it's so deadly, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it's the best. And yeah, you want to talk about failures in that. I've got way more than good ones. But yeah, the one thing that I like about it, it's like – when I think about stalking elk, you know, and like the, the good ones that I've got, it's like it wasn't your – it wasn't the typical like bedded mule deer type stalk or this bear feeding in a meadow. It's like – like you say, it's like shadowing them. It's like you're just – I'm always – I was keeping with them, keeping with them, keeping with them, you know. And then, you know, maybe it didn't didn't material materialize right away. But but then they settle down to where like maybe they're going to bed for the day or they get to their feeding feature, you know, in the evening. And it's like it, it's more of a it's moving, moving with them through country and then trying to pick a spot to, you know, cut them off. And that's my favorite. Like uh, I've I don't well, that's I've killed one. I've killed one bull bedded like actual just glass. Boom. See him go kill him. But the rest of them have always been on their feet and I'm just shadowing them like you're saying and, and sticking with them and then waiting for that, that moment where maybe they just go over through a saddle and it's like, okay, go cut them off and kill them, you know, or, or maybe you get in close, like a couple of years ago, got in close to their cows while they're to his cows while they were feeding, you know, milling around, you know, all of them were like 19 to 40 yards from me. And the big herd bull was on the far side at, you know, 80, 85, raking a tree, doing his thing. But I just knew he would circle around and come get his cows. And it's like, those are the kind of stocks that I just love. And, and yeah, you want to talk about deadly. It's like, I almost feel like it's on, I'm just, it's on my terms when I'm stalking them like that. You know, it's like, I'm just sticking with them, keeping the wind right. And it's like, I'm just waiting for my all in time. You know, I'm just waiting for that one moment where it's like, yep, this is, this, his day's done. Like now it's time to go. And, oh, I, I never, I never pack a call. I don't even pack a call to stop them. You know, it's like, because usually in those scenarios, 
you don't have to. It's like you're just in their wheelhouse and they have no idea you're around. So there's no reason to stop them. You know, it's like you just let them do their natural thing and you just be inside a bow range. And yeah, just the most deadliest way. Plus, I don't think I'm a probably a very good caller anyway. I don't think I've ever given it a chance, but stalking them, uh, those big bulls, it's like the hardest part. I feel like, I mean, gosh, keeping the wind right and everything, but it's just finding those big bulls, you know, and getting them in a vulnerable spot because it's like a few years ago, it's like, you know, I was at full draw on this bull three different times going up this big drainage, uh, but I was tailing them that morning because they were going up drainage and downhill thermal. So it was like it was one of those situations where I knew I couldn't get up in front of them to cut them off uh, because I would I'd blow them out. The wind would would just come down into them. So I had to really tail them. And it was like every time they went around a bend, every time they went around a corner, I would quick walk up to the corner, you know, try and get in a bow range. And then I would be on the outer limits of my bow range. And I was like you know, nope, I'll wait, I'll wait for a better opportunity. Cause it, I mean, I don't know how many elk he had or how many cows he had, 19, 20 of them. Um, but not, no elk in that herd knew I was there. So I just kept waiting, you know, just kept lurking in the shadows as they went up the drainage that morning and, you know, it ended up paying off, but yeah, the most deadly and most thrilling way to hunt elk, I think is just keeping with them. You know, you, the, the sounds you get to hear them make, you get to see them just do their thing and, yeah, when that when the all in moment comes and the time's right, oh, there's nothing better. Yeah, that's um, I I, I want to talk about that that moving stock, but you just made so many good points there. Like um, yeah, the the uh, uh the those those elk, it it is a deadly tactic. Um, you know, it, it to be able to go in and it is thrilling. Me and you have fallen in love with it and. You know, I don't know if there's a, a more thrilling way to kill an elk than calling them in, but I have sure fallen in love with watching elk be elk. Like they just mm-hmm. they're they're interacting in their natural environment without a predator. They're just not on edge. Like a lot of these bulls that I, that I've called in over the years, you know, and I probably I've called in like when I first started, I, I spent my first ten years calling and killing bulls that way and helping my buddies kill bulls that way, and I found these bulls always come in on pins and needles and they're looking for that cow or they're looking for the hunter. They're so on edge that a lot of times you get them in bow range and just don't get a shot or the right angle because they're so on pins and needles. But I find in their natural environment when they're rutting, they're just elk being elk. They're out there feeding and they're rutting and they're bugling. And some of these hunts where we're tailing a big party of elk or we're into them, you know, there's nights where I hear 300 bugles or 500 bugles and it finally gets dark and I've got a long walk by camp and I just can't believe what I've just experienced through, uh, you know, through the mountains or through this, this elk hunt. But the point that, that I think is important about spotting and stalking elk is the moving meditation or the, the moving stock. It's like, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, you have to adapt to the situation you're given. It's not this methodical, planned out stock or play like you mentioned for mule deer, where early season mule deer, you're really sitting back and you're watching the mountain and you're waiting for that buck to bed. And once he beds, you're waiting for him to get to his afternoon bed. You get better winds, better thermals. And then your stock is this calculated slow play of being able to move around him and close in to where his exact position is that you know. Elk, it just doesn't happen that way. Just like you stated, you've killed one bull in his bed. I know I've 
I've stocked a lot of bulls in their beds over the years. You know, you get chances here or there, but the majority of mine or all of my elk have been on their feet. And, and sometimes it's you follow them to the timber they bed in, and then I'll wait for evening when they come out and they're out in the open again. It's elk are really tough to hunt in that timber stuff to go in after them spotting and stalking. And sometimes if they're just moving in, you can move in with them in that thick timber. I, I, I have been had success stalking bulls if I know their exact location in the timber. But for the most part, I want to stalk them on their feet. And so you see these elk and they may be in a prime position but by the time you get into that position or get into that space everything's changed the elk are in a different spot they've moved you know a quarter mile or moved around the meadow or they're starting to move to their bedding ground and so like hunting hunting elk it is this moving stock where you constantly have to adapt to the situation you're given. So you might see elk down in a drainage and they're in a good spot, but by the time I get there, everything's going to move. So what I need to do is I need to get in close and then I rely upon, the, again, this hunting skill set. I, I rely on my ridgeline assaults, like being able to come over to ridgelines and see the elk before they see me. That's the whole game with this spot and stock. Keeping the element of surprise, not letting these elk know that they're being hunted, and not letting these elk see you before you see them. And so you get down to that spot, and you always have to relocate them again. And so I may get down to this drainage where I saw these elk, they're in a perfect spot, but I get down there, and now I get down there, and I'm coming over the ridgeline slow, or I'm exposing myself through the timber really slow, and I'm glassing, and I'm trying to pick out the animals and where they're at. So I'll get down there. Now the elk have moved 300 yards and they're working up the drainage or working up through this timber. Now I need to adapt again. Now what's my next move? Well, I need to keep moving with these elk where I can see them, but maybe my wind's a little dicey. And so I don't want to get inside 300 yards. I just want to keep eyes on them. I want to see where they end up. I just want to shadow them or coyote this herd until I see it develop into something where I say, yeah, I can kill that bull right now. And so... Uh, a, a lot of this elk hunting is this moving stock, and we use this skill set too. We use it for bears. We hunt bears on their feet the majority of the mm -hmm. time. Now, bears don't move quite as much as elk, although that's not true. Sometimes they're moving miles. <laughs> it depends on the bear you see. But if you get a bear feeding in a meadow like the one you did, it's a yep. pretty likely chance that he's going to be there by the time you get there. And But we use this, this moving stock on these bears. We use the moving stock on late season deer because those bucks never stop moving and they're always running those does and sure we get chances when they're bedded and get a good play at them but for the most part it's when they're on their feet in this moving stock and that is our primary method of taking these elk it is this moving stock adapting to the situation we're giving keeping the element of surprise and so you do this day after day Maybe we don't get a stock every day, but you do this season after season, multiple, multiple encounters of, of shadowing these herds and trying to get in close. And a lot of times it doesn't come together. I can think of elk seasons where, you know, I shadow a lot of herds and I move into bow range and I can shoot every cow in the group. But the bulls just hmm. on the outside of it or just on the outside and I never get a shot at them or the bull leaves all his cows to go fight another bull or there's a million different scenarios that can happen there but i just keep tailing these herds i just keep shadowing them i just try to 
put myself in these positions and try to get in close and, and realize when I have the conditions right to go in. But but it's definitely this this moving a stock, a stock as you adapt as you go, adapt to the situation you're given, and then you make decisions and you go for it and you continue to move with these elk. And the longer you can play the game, the better your chances of sticking that ball. Oh, yeah. Yep. The one thing that I really liked what you said that uh, has I've really taken to heart probably the last couple years is on these stocks, you know, when you're shadowing them or like, say, my bear in the meadow, you know, it's like when you lose sight of them and when you're shadowing them, that relocating them, you know, it's like that was one thing that uh, I use. I used to stalk to a spot, you know, Um or I used to shadow something and, and like have a preconceived notion of, oh, this is where I'm going. Um, it, more of like a location instead of just reacting and, and relocating them. Now the biggest thing for me that I think I've, where I've really turned the corner on a lot of these stocks and, and it's really upped my success is once I get into that – say I get into that 150 range or I have to top a hill like you were saying or come up into a bench kind of like on that bear stock, you know – really come up slow and take the time to relocate them, you know? And, and it's like, if you lose sight of them, um, don't make big drastic moves to, to relocate them. Like say this bear, I came up and I lost him for a little bit, um, just out of sight. And it was a good approach. And then I came up and I took the time and I couldn't find him, couldn't find him, couldn't find him. And I like knew I was like, unless he put away in the timber, uh, I know he's still right there. So I just took a little step, you know, kept class and take a little step. And then finally it's like, oh, he's right behind all those aspens. I just, there was a pine in the way, you know, if I would have just kept mobbing and got worried that, you know, he moved off, you know, I would have lost him, but it's that relocating, um, that is so crucial. And it's like on these elk, you know, same thing, you might turn a bend and they might've boogied and took a shortcut over the next one. And it, so instead of, you know, maybe rushing it, it's like just taking the time, relocate them make small moves before you make the big moves and and i think that's yeah like i said a, a real big contributing factor of like becoming more successful on stocks like this is if you do when you are shadowing them or trying to cut them off it's like make the small moves to relocate them and not big moves you know mm. so right and and having preconceived notions of where those animals are like we all do it where we think that animal is going to be but it's amazing as you come slow over a ridge and you think that elk's right in front of you, and if you're slow enough and you don't give yourself away, all of a sudden you catch those elk and they're way down to the right. They've moved. But if you mm -hmm. make the big moves like you're saying, you give yourself away and you blow up the stock and it's all over. And it can be the biggest bull in the world, and you can be trailing them for four hours, and you come over too fast over a ridge line, or you think that bull's somewhere where he's not. They just bust you. The stock's over with. That was your chance. And so – you're right. It's so key uh, being able to relocate them. Like that's where the game is played. And I think um, pace too. Like you, you you talk about being really slow coming over those ridge lines and relocating uh, those elk. Um, and I think that's that's super crucial. But you also you, you can't be moving at this slow, stealthy pace all the time or these elk will walk away from you there's a time to move fast there's a time to jog and then there's a time to move hmm. ultra slow and be the hands of the clock and i think learning this pace while stalking these elk uh, of when to move quick when to move slow and, and the closer you get the slower you start to move and 
and you start to think it's it's not going to be me that's going to screw this up. I'm not going to give away my element of surprise. If I come over too slow and the elk have worked out a bow range, so be it. I'll adapt again and make another play or another approach. But I think it's really knowing what pace to have. There is a time when you're trying to make up ground on elk where they may be moving up a drainage and you're a mile away where you're jogging up a drainage or hiking as quick as you can out of sight to try to make up ground on them. But then knowing that when I come over this ridge and I'm going to expose myself to where I think these elk are, this is where I really need to slow down and take a step in glass. And just like you did with that bear, not seeing that bear, you could have continued to go hard to try to find him in there, but you knew you were looking at the right location. You're looking at the last spot that bear was. He's got to be in here somewhere. Unless he put away, he's got to be in here. And just giving it that few minutes for that bear to step out from behind that tree or walk out from those aspens, all of a sudden you created that play where if you would have gone too quick and kept trying to hunt your way to that bear through there, he would have caught you and busted you and the stock would have been over. So I think it's really important to slow down like you're saying. The relocate is one of the biggest parts of being successful, but also just knowing that pace to take on a stock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and it's like we said in the beginning, you know, it's like just always being in a bow hunter's mindset, right? It's like, you start, you know, some people might be, well, well, what is the pace? It's like the more, the more you hike around the woods with your bow, the more stocks you put on things. It's like that bow hunter's mindset. I mean, that's, what's going to lead you to those answers, you know, because everybody's, everybody hunts a little bit different, but it's like, the more you take that bow out, the more stocks you go on. And then that pace becomes almost second nature. You know, then you don't question that pace anymore it's like you know when it's time to jog you know when it's time to to crawl creep take off your boots you know it's like or crawl it's just like there are no there's no doubt about it it's just become second nature and it becomes your style you know the more the more you're out there the more you're mixing it up um that's where that pace is developed and i really like that because it's like everybody has a little different pace you know i mean you and I are, are, are pretty similar, but like, say my brother, you know, he's, he is so methodical and slow, you know, it's like he hunts way different than I do, you know? And it's just like, everybody develops their own pace that works for them, you know? And, but the more you're out there, you just have to be out there and be in a bow hunter's mindset as, as often and as much as, as you can. And that's where that pace becomes developed. You don't question your moves and that's when things really start developing. Is, is your brother's turning into a, a great bow hunter as well. Um, arrowed a good bull last year, showed grit, uh, perseverance. Um, you know, he's starting to get it done on the regular now with his bow as well. And, and there isn't a wrong way to do it. You develop this different pace or this style of hunting. And, there, you know, even though your brothers may be different than your style, you guys are both still getting it done. So it it is uh, experience is the best teacher. It's getting out there. It's having these adventures and having these failures. Um, you know, we, we talk about the successes and, and we did touch on failures in this episode, but, but still even thinking of that, the, the, the elk hunting or the late season deer, you know, I can, I can think of, uh, four stocks or five stocks that didn't go my way before the one that I finally got it done on. And you try to make these solid moves and, it's important not to take shortcuts on a stock. Like if, if you yeah. don't think it's going to work or you think you're going to get seen, 
it's not going to work. You're going to get seen. You, there, <laughs> the, it, it just like you, every stock has to be really important. That opportunity, you have to, to realize what kind of opportunity that you have there. Don't take any shortcuts. Only try to make the right moves uh, because you, you are going to fail on these stocks. And the longer you do it, you find like like how keen the instincts of these animals are, whether it's elk or mule deer or bear that you make one mistake with the wind or you make one mistake exposing yourself or giving that element a surprise, the gig's up. And we may have walked who knows how many miles we have in to get in that stock, 10, 20 miles to creating this opportunity. And I just know to me I have to I have to make all the right moves. I can't give myself away just to give myself a chance at it. But you're gonna fail. You're gonna need multiple opportunities, and and that's what Dan says too. Is like, he needs more than one opportunity. Yep. He needs he needs to to find enough deer to create multiple opportunities to get it done. Because there's a good chance that he's not gonna get it done on his first stock. And and me and you included. As good as we get at this game and this spot and stocking, we still you know fail on stocks because it's such a a tough challenge. These animals are so keen that. That they are going to catch you, you are going to make mistakes, or sometimes they just walk away from you, or you have a, a doe that catches you. There's going to be things that that go wrong, and so after that, you try to learn from it and say, well, what could have I done different on that stock? And I try not to beat myself up on stocks, and I also try not to let it be the end of the world. I can be stocking a giant buck and it falls apart, and sure, sometimes I get frustrated, but for the most part, it's just like it's. It, I just say, well, that's that's just bow hunting. That's it's just the way it is. It's time to go find another one. What's my next move? I've got to regroup. I've got to go find a different buck. It's it's just you. I I don't I don't like failure, but I do get good at accepting it and moving on and just knowing it's part of the game and that I I need to go create another opportunity. And once I do create that opportunity, I, I can't go in haphazard. I can't you know, break a stick going in, or I can't try to cheat this wind when I know the wind isn't right. You know, after I fail a couple times, it's like this, this stock is, is so important that I need to make all these little moves, all these crucial moves, never take a shortcut, never expose myself, really put my full effort into a stock just to be able to give myself a chance at, at harvesting that animal. So I think it's important not to take any shortcuts, not to try to force the issue, continue to show patience, uh, uh, move in and close in. And the longer that you can play the game with these animals and have them not know you're there, the better chance you have at killing them. And even one of those late season bucks I chased last year that I didn't end up harvesting, I had a great all-in moment where I got into bow range, I jumped a doe getting in close to him that I didn't know was there, situation kind of blew up, it was that big heavy three, I don't know if you saw him with the big backs and so heavy, I'm sure you did, the wide one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, didn't see the wide one, um, no, but I saw the other one. Coke can? Oh, yeah, yeah, you saw the Coke can one, yeah, uh... Or, or the Coke can one was the one I was chasing in there. Yeah. Yep. But yep. I chased that buck for three days. I backed out on two different stocks. I never let that buck know I was hunting him. And so I got multiple opportunities at him. Now, I didn't kill that buck in the end. I had my great all-in moment, spooked that doe. It didn't come together. I never saw that buck again. But I had one chance at that buck. But I ended up getting to hunt him for three, four days, relocating him in there just because I never blew him out of there. I never exposed myself. I kept playing the game, you know, and, and dang near got 
shot him killed. Or my high country buck last year in Colorado, I hunted for seven days. I spent two days, two entire days laying within 150 yards of that buck waiting for my right opportunity and then would back out out of there with a good win. Never let that buck know I was hunting him. Just keeping that element of surprise and just like keeping the game progressing keeping in the game knowing where that buck is i think it's really important not to take shortcuts not to 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 move in and try to make something happen all the time like really sitting back and being patient it's this fine line between patience and aggression like you're never going to kill a buck that you don't go after eventually you've got to stalk Eventually, you've got to go all in and got to try to make it happen, but you just want it to be right when you move in. Everything has to be right to kill an animal. With a bow and arrow, it is one of the most difficult challenges out there to put yourself into bow range, execute a perfect shot. You know, it happens to me multiple times in a season, but it never comes easy. It always has to be this play that I make or a great play where I don't give myself away, keep the element of surprise, but it is such a fine balance. And I think the only way you find that balance is what we keep coming back to in this podcast is experience, taking on adventures, taking on experience, making stocks, failing, really learning from it. And and that really makes us into the bow hunters that we are just that experience it's such a great teacher and and you can further the learning curve by you know i learned by talking to you uh getting your insight on things you know you learn from podcasts and read books and and you can further your knowledge base you can shorten the learning curve but eventually you've got to take that knowledge that you've gained or these lessons that you've learned uh, through these different hunters or through this media, and now you've got to go apply it in the field and have your own hunt and your own adventure and make your own mistakes. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And that's the hard way. I like what you said, no shortcuts. It's like usually, usually, it's sometimes the red carpet's rolled out for you, but usually the hard way is the right way. And there is a fine line between, you know, being, you've got to be patient and wait for the right moment but you've also got to have a little aggression. And for guys that maybe don't go on a lot of stocks, it's like the only way you learn, I mean, 90% of it is by failing, you know? And it's like, you've got to get in, in there, mix it up and, and figure out what works or what doesn't. I mean, you don't want to go in with just complete reckless abandonment, but you just sometimes like when you think, say, say you're just a guy that doesn't know when the all in moment is, you know, get the wind right get them in a good spot and go for it because that's, I mean, that's how I learned. I mean, I've said this before, but it like my first antelope that first year took me 35 stocks, you know, I mean, I was probably over aggressive, but I learned on every <laughs> single one, you know, every single one. And that's, that's, I mean, the, that right there is turned me and shaped me into the bow hunter that I am, you know, it's like 35 stocks. I learned so much what works, what doesn't. It's like, you can't crawl through blades of grass get to your knees and shoot them like that just don't work like but uh no it's learning learning being in a bow hunter's mindset being being just a student of the game and being willing to go for it you know it's like if you've turned them up once and you've got a play in front of you and you say it doesn't work out you just can't be afraid to go turn them up again you know it's like roll the next ridge go through the next saddle turn them up again and get another play you know but uh no no so much fun it uh Gosh, dude, it just gets me juiced up. I wish I had another bear tag. (laughs) 
Yeah, seasons coming. Um, you you just said that so well, Dylan. That's that that is um the essence of bow hunting, uh, failing and learning and going for it. Uh, it's part of the beauty of it and being a student of the game, constantly learning and evolving. And that's that's one thing that you're really good at. You're not resting on your laurels or your achievements from last year. You're continuing to to push and drive, continuing to learn, adapt, evolve. Uh, you're an absolute student of the game. And I just, dude, I am so impressed. And I know, you know, I, I said it at the, at the beginning of the podcast. I told you the other day when I talked to you, I'm just so impressed by your bow hunting prowess. Like you've just, uh, you've created this, this bow hunting life for yourself uh, where you've really committed yourself to the game and to watch you uh, have this consistent success all throughout the country in different species, this this bear success, arrowing your first bear, man. I just uh, I, I couldn't be prouder to call you a friend, and I'm just so sure. impressed at, at your, your bow hunting prowess, man. And um, by the way, this has got to be a regular thing. i got to get you on here every month or every couple months, and we got to sit down and chat because I really enjoy these. Cool, man. I appreciate it all. And yeah, likewise. And yeah, you let me know when you want to get on the horn and record them. I'll do them whenever. So man, we got some, some good bow hunting coming up, don't we? It's going to be a fun season. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If we draw any more tags, I don't know if we're going to have any more time. It's like, oh my goodness, but I need one more. I need an early one. (laughs) I need need one more. Early one. We've got enough. We've got plenty of late stuff. Yeah, I need one more. I need, uh, yeah, I need an early one. But, yeah, yeah beggars can't be choosers. I'll take what I can get. But we, uh, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a riot. Want to talk about bow hunting? Holy smokes, we got a full one. So. Yeah. Well, congrats again, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll Thank talk you. to you soon. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, man, I really uh, like Dylan Ness. He's such a stand-up human being, great hunting partner, great fishing partner. In fact, he's going to be out here this Saturday. We have a bachelor party for my buddy uh, Dan Hevern, who's getting married. So um, we're going to go fish the Madison with a handful of guys and go throw some dry flies. So um, anyways, great guy, uh, always willing to share insight. Uh, we get fu- pretty fired up when we talk to each other. So we may have said like too many times. I I noticed Dylan started saying it, and I started saying it too. It's like you get uh, two buddies together and get us excited about bow hunting, and we sound like a couple valley girls. But uh, hopefully didn't uh, uh, didn't distract from the podcast and the information there because there's some great information. So uh, yeah, I really like that guy, and thanks to him for taking the time being on. I'm gonna record more with him here every time I get together with him or in the future. Uh, link up and and uh, have some more of my buddies on here again and and um, chat about what we what we all love to do bow hunting so um, make sure to check us out again we've got that live speaking gig we're gonna do it's in Heber City Utah it's July 20th um, we're gonna do a dinner I have an hour-long talk planned we're gonna do question and answers uh, should be a great time I'm super excited uh, just to have the opportunity to speak at some of these gigs. So uh, we just wrapped up Western Hunting Summits. Um, we did three of those, uh, had some amazing talks on those. Uh, I also want to get you guys those recordings of me speaking, or I'll just get on here and record them again for deer and for elk and just try to give you that pertinent information as we're getting close to season. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll get those recorded here. Um 
keep working hard, keep working towards season. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Matthews, just incredible bows with that V3X. Um, I, I also uh, want to thank Sig Sauer Optics, so impressed by their rangefinders, image stabilizing binos. They have standard binos that are great quality, uh, and also their spotting scope. Their spotting scope is amazing with an 80 mil objective lens, and then it's got a 27 by 55 power uh, eyepiece that goes in it, and um, it's it's pretty much see the world with that thing. It's great scope. So if you're in the market for some new optics, make sure to check out Sig Sauer, and uh, make sure to check out everything we're doing over here at Eastman's. Check out the Beyond the Grids. Tech, check out... Uh, um, our Tag Hub Internet Research Tool. We also have a premium membership where you get Beyond the Grid episodes early. Um, yeah, uh, both magazines. Uh, love writing for both magazines. Um, have an article coming up in the new Bow Hunting Journal. Gosh, you're gonna put me on the spot. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I remember it was a good one. I remember I was uh, trying to write it before I left for that Hawaii vacation. Uh, so I had a handful of days to get that thing done, but um, turned out really good. Can't think of what it is, but I'm sure it turned out good. I'm sure it's a good read. Check it out in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And um, man, I'm just gonna keep working hard here, uh, get these jobs in shape, and uh, work as hard as I can to get to hunting season. Um, it's going to be awesome. Cut these legs loose, uh, go do some rips in the mountains, and um, go chase some mule deer, elk. Got that moose tag, and antelope tag, so uh, it's going to be a busy season for me, and that's just the way I like it. So I uh, hope you guys have some good adventures planned, and um, man, um, keep working hard towards your goals. Season's going to be here before we know it, so I'm making sure my legs are ready, lungs are ready. Uh, been getting in my runs here and uh, getting done with construction work is the main thing for me right now to free up some time. But um, really nice to spend some time with my family over the 4th and then um, took my oldest daughter to one of those summits with me. Amazing to spend the weekend with her and go hiking and um, camping. So that was pretty fun. And uh, now I just got to sneak my younger daughter out here for a fishing trip, uh, see if she can come with me here and the the uh, next couple weeks and go do that, but uh, spending some great family time and um, it's been really fun. So um, summer's gonna go quick. It seems like a blur right now, but um, fall is coming, guys. The season we've been waiting all year for. So keep working hard towards your goals. And with that, I'll check in with you next week.